This evening, we will be considering a memorable verse from the Minor Prophets. It's a verse from uh, the book of Micah. Our verse for this evening is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It says this. I have it up on the screen. You flip that back there. It is, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So this is a verse that um, I think is a, I don't think the clicker working. We'll keep moving on until uh, we get that figured out, but... Sometimes this is a verse, I think it's a pretty catchy verse, one that you might see uh, on some, some logos different ways. It's often kind of abbreviated, it's, it's crunched up. But this verse is also a verse, it's also a verse that uh, is viewed as extremely important. So though it's a verse that sometimes you might see as it's kind of catchy, uh, it's a verse that's viewed as extremely important. And I want to read a quote uh, from Kenneth Barker, from his commentary, if you just listen with me, he says this. This verse stands as the motto of the alcove of religion in the reading room of the Congregational Library in Washington. Politicians have quoted it often in their election campaigns. Numerous accolades have been showered on it. For example, Von Rad says, this is the quintessence of the commandments as the prophets understood them. J.M.P. Smith calls it the finest summary of the content of practical religion to be found in the Old Testament. And Bodes observes, the rabbis who commented on this verse in the early centuries of the Christian era called it a one-line summary of the whole law. So this isn't only a catchy verse. You might see it oftentimes, um, maybe posted on social media, things like that. But this is also a very important verse uh, as we find what God requires of his people. What God expects of his people, what he wants us to do, how we are to live our lives. Micah 6.8 gives us a short and a succinct explanation of what this is. What does the Lord require? So our theme for this evening, I'm going to have it in the form of a question. It is, what is, what is it that God requires of his people? If you want to try and follow along with me, that would be great. Thank you. So our theme is this. What is that? What is it that God requires of his people? So consider again with me Micah 6, 8. We see that it makes plain and simple that it is communicating what God requires of his people. It says, he has told you, O man, and then we get this line, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? I want to make one clarification as you consider, as it says, what does the Lord require of you? I want to make a clarification to say salvation is not being spoken about here, okay? This verse is not about how one can have a relationship with God, how you can gain or how you can get a relationship with God. That's not what's being talked about here, but rather, this is talking about once you have a relationship with God, how are you to live your life? That is what this verse is talking about. Not how you get a relationship, but in that relationship with God, how do you live your life? As you can see again, uh, our verse says, it speaks of what is good, and this is speaking of the correct, the, the right way to live one's life. What is the good way forward for your life? And then it says what God, then it speaks of what God requires. 
What is God's expectation for us as his people? What is his mandate for his people? And I say mandate purposefully to say that this verse is not an option. Okay? It's not giving us one option among many, but this is what God firmly calls his people to. What does he call you to as a Christian? That is what this verse talks about. So what I want to do is I want to start going through this verse, and I want us to, to look at the several things uh, that God requires of his people. So the first one is this. The first requirement from God for his people is justice. And you can see that on the screen. It's justice. It says in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And then we get this phrase, but to do justice. The word justice is a word that is closely associated with the word righteousness in the scriptures. You can see the, the verse up on the screen, Psalm 106.3. It says this, Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. So this word righteousness is a word that just speaks about doing what is right. The word justice is, is similar in the sense that, yes, it talks about doing what is right, but there's more to it. Have up on the screen Isaiah 1.17. We get more of what this word justice means. It says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And then another verse, Isaiah 61, verse 8, says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So these two verses I just quoted, they, they contrast justice with wrongdoing, and more specifically, it contrasts it with oppression and robbery. So justice is the opposite of oppressing people. It's the opposite of robbing or stealing from other people. And in Isaiah 1 verse 17, it speaks, of, speaks specifically of who you show justice to, and it, it talked about uh, orphans and those who have lost a spouse. So I have a summary of this word up on the screen. The word justice speaks of what is right, but further, it speaks of doing what is right and fair and looking out for others, especially those who are weak or in a vulnerable position. So that's kind of just a condensed summary or a condensed definition of what does this word justice mean. It, it talks about doing what is right or treating people fairly and specifically those who might normally not be treated fairly. I have a quote for you uh, from Leslie Allen. As they put it, uh, I think they put this, this word justice well. It says, justice is the key word so often used by the prophets to sum up this social obligation. It covers and transcends a host of negative precepts, such as prohibition of oppression, perjury, and bribery. It calls for a sense of responsibility toward weaker members of society, lest they go to the wall. It insists on the rights of others. It demands an instinct for social preservation. So this word justice speaks of how we treat others. It speaks against treating someone wrongly or unfairly. It speaks of looking out for those who might easily, usually be, be hurt or just taken advantage of. So God requires justice from his people. But I want, I want you to notice again, and I'll have it up on the screen, notice again what is said about justice. Again, Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? And then it says, but to, but to do justice. Do justice. 
And that is a key word. We might easily pass over it. We might easily not think much about it. But this word do tells us what this justice is to look like. It's not that we're just to value justice. It's not that we're to to think that uh, others should do justice. We're not to simply bemoan the fact that our world is lacking of justice. But this word do shows us that God calls us to do. To actually do or, or act It's a call to action. This word or this phrase, do justice, is a call to action. It's a call to do something, to get up and act on someone else's behalf, to look out for others, to help the needy, to help the poor, to help those who tend to get picked on, to help those who are weak and outcasted. So as we consider justice, I'd ask you to consider as we we think about how we could apply this, I have a question for you, and it's this. What, I'm, what am I doing to look out for and provide for the weak and needy? What am I doing? So what are you individually? Just think about that. What am I doing to look out for and provide for the weak and needy? How am I doing justice? Again, it's not just talking about it. It's not just valuing it or expecting it of others, but it's doing it ourselves. In response to this verse These are the things we must consider. We need to consider this question. Are we actually doing justice? So that's the first requirement, to do justice. And we'll move on to the second requirement for God's people, and that is kindness. The second requirement for God's people is kindness. If you see again in Micah 6, 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and then we come to this phrase that says, and to love kindness. This word kindness is a very common word in the Old Testament. It's it's repeated many, many times, and and often this word speaks of faithfulness or loyalty. I think the ESV does well in translating this word as kindness, and I have this uh, definition for you on the screen. Kindness can also be taken to mean mercy, pity, compassion, specifically for those that are outcasts, weak, or struggling in some way. That should sound familiar to us because we just saw a word that meant something very, very similar. So these two words, justice and kindness, are very similar. They certainly have their nuances or their uh, slight differences, but they're very similar words, justice and kindness. Psalm 109.16 is another instance where we find this word kindness, and it shows us that it's a word that means a lot of very similar to The word justice, Psalm 109, 16 says, For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy and brokenhearted to put them to death. So again, we got a contrast. Here's kindness. The person being spoken about isn't showing kindness, but is attacking. They're going after those who who are weak, who are needy. They're poor. They're brokenhearted. They're attacking those people. So we could ask the question, What does the Lord, or we're asking the question tonight, what does the Lord require? What does he call us to do as his people? Well, we see from these two verses, God does not say it once, but now he says it twice. Justice and then kindness. He shows us twice that we as God's people are to have a care and a concern for those in need, those who are mistreated, those who are in a vulnerable position. So if we just pause and as we think about the theme that we started off with, I asked, or we, I said we were going to be talking about from Micah 6.8, what is it that God requires of us? Maybe I should have had us think about that. What is it that we would say God requires of us? 
You could even think about now. Did it come to mind justice and kindness, treating others rightly and fairly? But further, as we think about this word kindness, I, I want to bring out a, a word that's in our verse, uh, just like I did with justice. If we look again at Micah 6, 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and then it says, and to love kindness, to love kindness. The word love speaks of something that you delight in, something that you find pleasure in, you enjoy doing it, you want to do it. So the point is, God does not call his people to help the needy or just call his people to help the needy, but he calls his people to help the needy from a compassionate heart. Not just to do it, but to want to do it. For their hearts to genuinely feel for the situation and circumstances that person's in. For them to sincerely pity that person and the difficulties they're facing and do something to help them out. Now I want to just stress there's a difference. Okay, There's a difference for you to do it just out of religious duty. You know you're to do it. You know you need to um, look out for other people. There's a difference between the religious duty and your heart aching for that person. Okay, you, you just can't help but step into the situation and help them. It's important that we see this difference as we think about applying this to our lives because it can be easy to do something but with no feeling, with no real concern. You're just doing it because you know it's the right thing or because someone's told you to do it. And to evaluate this, I just ask you to consider your attitude okay, as you, you look to help someone. Is it just another task to check off the list, or do you delight in being able to help someone out? That is what's being stressed here, okay? The fact that you want to do it, you enjoy doing it, you delight in doing justice, doing kindness for other people. So in response to Micah 6.8, we must ask ourselves, does my heart ache for the hurting, broken, and struggling person? Does our hearts ache? ache for these people. So I want to pause before we get to the third requirement. So we'll move on to the third requirement in a little bit, but I want us to just reflect or, or think more about these two words, justice and kindness. And I want us to specifically think about uh, the people of Israel who Micah was prophesying to. So our next point is this, God required justice and kindness, but were they doing it? Okay, he requires this. We see that's pretty plain, that's pretty uh, clear to us, but were these people that Micah was prophesying, he was proclaiming the word of the Lord, were they actually doing this? So I want us to look at several passages that I think bring out and make it very clear that the people of Israel were not doing justice and loving kindness. The first passage is this, Micah 2, 1 through 2, it says, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them in houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. So these two verses are talking about those who are in power, and these people intentionally take people's houses, take people's land from them. I think this is very even applicable today. If you think about losing your house, losing your land, Hey, you're losing a lot of what you have materially. So this would have just left the people poor. This would have left them in a terrible position. 
These two verses show us how the people of Israel were treating others back in Micah's day. There's more. Micah 2, verses 8 through 9 say this. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delight, delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. So that, that first verse where it says, but in verse 8 it says, but lately my people have risen up as an enemy. It's not talking about treating their enemies like enemies, but it's talking about treating their fellow citizens, okay, other people that were part of the same nation, as an enemy. That's how bad they were treating each other. And then in verse 9, it goes on to talk about this stealing of homes, stealing of lands again. And you see, it says, the women of my people you drive out. Okay, the women are, are pointed out, and uh, quite possibly this is talking about taking a widow's who just lost her, her spouse, who lost her husband, taking her home from her. She's in a vulnerable position, a position where maybe she can't speak for herself or have much authority, and they take her home, take her land from her. Again, stressing how they were treating each other wrongly. Move on to Micah 3, 1 through 3. It says this, and this will be on two slides as we go to verse 3. It says, and I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. And break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot. Like flesh in a cauldron. Verse 1 again stresses the leaders are being talked about. It says, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. And it says, it's talking about uh, those who would have had the responsibility um, for determining legal cases. And Micah questions at the end of verse 1, is it not for you to know justice? Aren't you to be the ones who, who know justice, who, who knows what it looks like to treat others fairly? And the answer is yes, of course, they're the judges. If we and I have this up on a slide, Deuteronomy 1, 15 through 18, as we think about the law, as we think about the history of the rules and the commandments that God had brought to the people of Israel, he had made it very, very clear how the leaders, how the rulers, how the judges were to conduct themselves. This is what Deuteronomy 1, 15 through 18 says. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, Commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charge your judges at that time. So here it is. Hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with you. And then verse 17 says, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the judgment is God's and the case that is too hard for you. You shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things you should do. So Deuteronomy, okay, written many, many years before Micah, but part of the law, part of, of the word of God that Israel was supposed to be very acquainted with makes it clear how they are to uh, conduct or to rule with justice. And we see from Micah 3, verses 2 
through 3 that these leaders and judges were far from this way of handling things in Deuteronomy. It says uh, that they hate the good. Judges are to, to love, to conduct uh, the good. It says they're to hate the good and love the evil. And then, I don't know if you call it in Micah 3, 3, it talks about them treating each other like cannibals. They're treating each other so bad, they're treating each other like cannibals. And how they don't care for each other, how they oppress each other, and the violence they do to the people. Move on to one, one more passage to show how the people were not doing justice and kindness. In Micah 3, verses 9 through 11, it says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. So again, the leaders are addressed, and it speaks of them being disgusted with justice. Hey, they're to do justice. They're disgusted with justice, as it says they detest. It says that they detest justice. And not, not much detail is given in verse 10, but it talks about Israel being built up on blood and sin. The leaders were, were using people in some way to grow their nation. And in verse 11, it shows that their justice depends on what is given. It speaks of a bribe being given. Uh, justice depends on bribery, not truth, not God's law. So God expected justice. He wanted his people to treat others fairly and rightly, not to mistreat each other. He expected kindness. He expected compassion. That is what he wanted his people. That's how he wanted his people to treat others. And what did they do? They did the furthest thing from justice and kindness. So application. We'll start with leaders. Okay? Many of the examples, if you were uh, paying close attention to these verses, many of the examples were directed towards the leader, leaders of Israel. Those in power, judges, priests, prophets, the leaders of the nation. We saw that they either oppressed people or they participated in it by just letting it go. So I'll start with church leaders. Starting with the elders, we must be sure we are not treating others wrongly, abusing our position, hurting people. And further, we must have our eyes on the church and the things that are taking place in the church and make sure people are being treated rightly, making sure abuse is not taking place. Okay, that's for the elders, but also other church leaders, Sunday school teachers, YF mentors. This could simply be just in your oversight of the kids that are under your care, making sure someone isn't being treated wrongfully or, or being picked on or being hurt is another way to live this out. But it's not only for church leaders, but it's business leaders or, or family leaders as we think about the men. Ju doing justice means you're not hurting or oppressing or wronging those under your care, but you're also... You're, you're also making, watching and making sure those under your care that they aren't hurting or wronging each other. It should catch our attention that it's the leaders that God, that Micah focused on as he, as he um, spoke against their sin. It should catch our attention as there's a temptation when it comes to leadership for those in power to abuse that leadership and to treat those under their care wrongly. But another point of ap application for everyone, not just leaders, and, and certainly leaders are included, is this. 
Justice must always be kept no matter if we could be advanced in some way or have some sort of gain. It says that Jerusalem was built on the blood of the people. People were hurt so that the kingdom could grow. The leaders, the prophets, the priests, they were given money to allow things that were not justice, that were wrong, that were oppressive to take place. So if it's, maybe it's promotion at your job or being bribed in some way or maybe your reputation is on the line, we must never fail to do justice. We must never mistreat or use people for our gain. So we've seen the first two requirements of from God for his people, to do justice and to love kindness. And we've seen how the people of Israel, they failed to do both. Now we move on to the third and the last requirement that God gives, and that is that they are to walk humbly with their God. It says in Micah 6, verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. And the third requirement is, and to walk humbly with your God. This word humbly is not a common word in the Old Testament, but I think the ESV does well in translating it as humbly, but just to get a little bit more specific of what this word is talking about, this word is talking about being careful or cautious or wise. And I'd like to give you a quote from Gary Smith's commentary on this word. He says this, The final requirement is related to a person's humble walk with God. The Hebrew root describes a life walk that is not proud, Proverbs 11, verse 2, but is attentive, careful, and prudent to follow God's will. Thomas translates this phrase to walk circumspectly, while Hillers prefers wisely. This suggests that Micah is warning against carelessly or presumptuously doing things your own way. Instead of being attentive to do God's will, such a walk with God is humble in that it puts a person's will in a secondary position and gives prudent attention to doing his will. In some sense, this requirement is the broadest of the three, for if one does this, one will certainly treat others justly and faithfully maintain all the covenant responsibilities. So just want to flesh that out a little bit more, and I I have this up on the screen. The idea here when we come to this, this phrase, walk humbly with your God, is that you is that your life is to be careful uh, to make sure you are following God's ways. Seeking to be wise in the sense that you're choosing to obey God's word, evaluating your life regularly and constantly, and thinking, am I doing God's will or my own? So that's what this phrase, walk humbly with your God, that you're in a submissive position. You see yourself as under God's will, not just driving forward with your will, what you want to do, but being very careful careful and cautious as you go about your life and you're thinking, am I doing God's will or am I doing my will? That is the idea here. And further, um, kind of as, as Gary Smith explains, uh, this is a pretty broad and, and even we could say general um, phrase in the sense that It really covers the first two that we saw, that God's will is for us to do justice and for us to do kindness. So this is really the umbrella. We could say those two fall under and and all of the law falls under. Just as we did with justice and kindness, I want us to to think about the fact that God required them to walk humbly with him. But I want to ask the question again, but were they doing it? I have for us Micah 6 verse 
16. It's just several verses. If we had the if we had our Bibles open, it's just several verses down, and we find the same word used. Um, but we'll take the first two lines first. It says this. And this is Micah talking to the people. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. So there's more to the verse, but I want to pause here for a moment and, and jump to 1 Kings 16, verses 25 through 26. And I want us to think about what does it mean that they're um, related or, or they're compared to Omri and Ahab. In 1 Kings 16, 25 through 26, this is who Omri was. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by his idols. And then Ahab, just a pa the next passage in 1 Kings 16, verses 30 through 33, it says this. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So these kings who Israel is now being compared to, completely disobeyed God and served idols. They, they were the worst kings uh, of Israel up to this point. That is who Micah is saying that they are following after their ways. And notice what he says next. Okay, so he says, For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And then he says, And you have, and you have walked in their counsels. You have walked in their counsels. Rather than walking humbly with your God, Israel walked humbly with the counsels of the wicked and evil kings. They followed after the ways of these wicked kings. They worshipped their idols. They did as these kings did, rather than what God commanded. Than rather than what God had commanded. So no, Israel did not walk humbly with their God. They failed to do so. But the interesting thing, and I want to bring this out, is, is that I believe they would have been shocked to hear this. Okay? If, as Micah made this plain to them, as he questioned if they, they really got these requirements, I think they would have been shocked to hear that Micah is saying that they didn't walk humbly with their God. And I say that they would have been shocked, and we'll move on to our next point and that is because they would have thought they were doing what God required. And this is where I want to bring in the immediate context to Micah 6, verse 8. And I want to look at the two verses that preceded, that, that come right before it. In Micah 6, 6 through 7, it shows they, they thought very much so. They were doing what God required. They were worshiping God faithfully. And this is what it says in Micah 6, 6 through 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? So in verses 6 through 7, the question is, what does God expect of his people in response to how he saved them, how he's provided for them, how he's protected them, how he's 
fulfilled his promises. What will please God is what's being asked just like our verse. So this, these verses definitely go together. And options are thrown out. And I believe as Micah throws these out, this is what the people were doing. This is what they were relying upon and thinking God had required. Options are thrown out. Verse 6 says, Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Okay, so just several ordinary sacrifices are being spoken of. Then in verse 7, things get more costly. It says, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with ten thousands of rivers of oil? So thousands and then ten thousands. So just a few sacrifices were being talked about in verse 6, and now thousands, ten thousands. It's a costly sacrifice, and it even talks about the oil that was often, often brought with these sacrifices. It says ten thousands of rivers. Not just 10,000 gallons, which would have been a lot, but rivers, a lot of oil. So things are kind of escalating. They're, they're being brought up and showing how costly uh, these things they were doing were. And then the last option given in the second half of verse 7 is even more costly, but horrifying. It says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So no longer are animal sacrifices being talked about, but these are child sacrifices. Speaking of making amends for sin by sacrificing children, and we might think Micah is just going extreme. He's just trying to really, um, really uh, exaggerate things. But no, we have at least one example of a king, one of the leaders of Israel in the time of Micah, that did exactly this and sacrificed his child. I have on the screen 2 Kings 16, verses 2 through 3, King Ahaz. It says this, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he, did, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And then it says this about King Ahaz. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Micah is re referring to something that was going on, something horrifying that was going on, something that was believed to be worship that God had made very, very clear was not part of his, uh, to be the part of the worship of him. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 31, it says, You shall worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. So Micah 6, 6 through 7 is the reason I said the people would have thought and they would have said they were doing what God required. They were worshiping him. They were making sacrifices as he commanded. They were doing very costly things. But we see that though they were doing these acts of worship, this was not all at all fulfilling what God required of them. First, as we just saw, they were doing acts of worship that God had completely commanded against. Child sacrifice. Child sacrifice was a practice of other religions, which should be a warning to us of experimenting and bringing in aspects of other religions' worship into ours. It's disobeying God. But second, what I want to point out is that yes, God had commanded the sacrifices that are mentioned in the beginning of this list, but the problem is that the people of Israel were doing these things 
while neglecting and mistreating people, as we saw earlier in this, this message. So application. What verses 6, 7, and 8 show us is that it's not okay to just be doing acts of worship. Our acts of worship must be met with acts of justice and following God's commandments, as we saw in verse 8. God requires both worship and justice. God required sacrifices and kindness. God required offerings and a concern in acting on other people's behalf. Putting it into our terms today, okay, we don't give sacrifices. Putting it into our terms, we can't just show up to church and think we're doing good and doing what God requires if we, if we are not stepping in and stopping abuse. We know it's taking place. We cannot sing hymns and praise and worship songs to God. Meanwhile, we're stealing from others. We cannot give tithes and offerings while we are picking on and belittling someone who is not as well off as us. This is the point that's being made here in Micah. And I believe that we as a church need to pay careful attention to the point that's being made in these three verses. I think we're a church that prioritizes our worship. We prioritize our worship services. We see them as very important. We value the preaching of God's word. We desire to come together each and every Sunday, morning and evening. That's a good thing. But this passage also teaches us that along with prioritizing our worship, we need to prioritize justice and kindness. We need to prioritize serving the poor and those who are in need. We must prioritize protecting children. We must have a heartfelt concern for widows and orphans. We must prioritize and see as very important the need to step in when someone's being mistreated or bullied. I have this on the screen for application. This passage is taking nothing away from the priority that, we should, that should be on the worship of God, the preaching of his word, singing praises to him, but another priority we must have is how, how we treat others, especially the outcast, the needy, the poor, and the vulnerable. And I want us to consider one last part of Micah 6.8 as we close. So our last point actually comes from the very beginning of Micah 6.8, and it's this. God has made his requirement clearly known. It says in Micah 6.8, he has told you. He has told you. God's made it known to you. That's how Micah begins this verse. So I kind of just skipped over it, saved it for last. But Micah starts by giving them what God requires by saying, he's told you. You know it. It's already been made clear. It's nothing new. It's nothing that you should be uncertain or hazy about. God has made it known in his word already. God had made this known is what the very beginning of this word, this verse is communicating. And so too, this should be even more clear to us today, who have even more of the scriptures than the people of Israel did in the time of Micah. And further, the message of Micah 6, 6 through 8 is repeatedly driven home in the Bible to us. And I have several passages up here on the screen. I'm not going to read these. I'd like to just read two just for sake of time. But a similar message is brought forth in these passages in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Isaiah 1, 10 through 17. Hosea 6.6, 6, Hosea 6.12.6, 6, and Amos 5.21-24. through 24. If we looked at these scriptures, there's very similar messages talking about worship, but also talking about looking out for other people, treating them fairly and rightly. But I want to give us two 
And the first is Jesus makes a similar point to our verse in Matthew 23, 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Talking about acts of worship, and he's saying you've done, you've done that, and you've neglected what he calls weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. James says something. It has a similar message, just in a little bit of a different way. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this is a, my, my point is that Micah begins by saying, he has told you, God's already told you this, you know this, just been neglecting it, you haven't been doing it. And my point is, we even should know this even more clear because of just the repeated way this has been driven home in the scriptures. So I have it up on the screen, kind of just a summary, somewhat of a closing It says, certainly we are to worship God through our worship services and our praises to him. But the message that is stressed in Micah 6, 8 and is so easily missed is that God requires his people to treat others rightly, for their hearts to ache and to act on their behalf. And he requires his people to carefully follow his will, not their own. So what we've seen tonight is that the people of Micah failed in doing this. They didn't get it. They didn't do it. They were all about worship. They would have even, I think, seemed like faithful followers of God, but they failed to do what God required of them. We must consider tonight, from Micah 6.8, and from the failed example of the Israelites, if we've done the same. So my question to us as we close is, are we failing to do what God has required of us? Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this passage. I thank you for the ways that it's convicted me and and challenged me as I've studied it this week. Lord, I just thank you for just the the message of it. Lord, that that certainly worship is something that we should do. We certainly should be bringing our praises uh, and and our songs to you even as we come together and, and really value our worship services. But Lord, as we find you very much so require something else from us, and that is how we treat others. Call us in the scriptures to love you, but also to love others. And Lord, I pray that you would just bring to mind ways that maybe we haven't been doing this, maybe we've failed to do this. Uh, and Lord, ways that we, we can do this as we go throughout our week. To look out for those that are in a vulnerable position, those that might be being hurt or mistreated. And Lord, bring these things to our attention. Drive us to, to do something about it with a heartfelt concern. And Lord, I pray that you give us compassionate hearts for for orphans and widows, for those that are in need, the poor. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, really give us hearts of compassion when it comes to these things. Lord, I I pray that we would be people that would walk humbly with you. We would be people that would be careful uh, and even just cautious as we make decisions, as we think about responses and, and what we do and what we say, that we would be careful to be seeking to do your will not our own. Lord, help us to do what you've required. Pray that you'd help us to to do what you've expected uh, of us as your people. Lord, ultimately, we need your strength and your help to do these things. In your name I pray.